Hey everybody, it's your boy Dr. Tamiso A. Josie. On this episode of the Empowerment Perspective Podcast, we sit down with Dr. Mary Lou Ryder. We talk about female empowerment. That's right, female empowerment. So if you are interested in learning about how to navigate uh, the workforce and how to navigate these leadership positions as a female, this is a particular podcast that you might want to pay attention to. Uh, we discuss our seven book series as well, and we also be dropping some gems on how you can be an effective leader as a female in the industry. Um, this is Dr. Demiso A. Joseph, and this is the Empowerment Perspective. This episode of the Empowerment Perspective podcast is brought to you by Oakland Cocktail Company. Oakland Cocktail Company is a cocktail mocktail mixer company located in Oakland, New Jersey. A portion of sales goes towards helping build our local communities. All cocktail mixers are made in small batches and crafted by hand to ensure quality and care. We make you a better bartender. There will be two flavor profiles released in March. Clinton Ave, Sriracha Bloody Mary. Make your place brunch central with this full body, spicy, savory cocktail mix. Tough enough to stand alone or mix with your favorite vodka or tequila. Spicy and fresh from the first pour to the last sip. Kindle Boulevard, pineapple, lime, and jalapeno. Enjoy a juice cleanse or elevate your favorite tequila or vodka with this sweet and spicy mix. We've bottled the freshest summer taste for you to enjoy all year round. Every sip will take you on vacation. The Oakland Cocktail Company can be found on Facebook at facebook.com slash Oakland Cocktail Company. I talk about there's three things that women can should know about. One of them is self-efficacy, and that's their belief in their ability to accomplish something. I think I think all women can get to that point. All right, welcome to yet another episode of the Empowerment Perspective Podcast. I go by the name of Dr. Namiso A. Josie, and today I am blessed to have a guest on. She is a former top businesswoman of the year in California, top 10 California Administrator of the Year, John Hopkins Administrator of the Year, a university faculty member. I could go on and on about this woman's acting least. I am blessed to have Dr. Mary Lou Ryder on the show today. Doctor, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm really good today, Dr. Demiso. Thanks for having me here today. Yeah, thanks for connecting and, and thanks for waking up early um, with us this morning. I believe you're in California, so as I know it's nice and bright and early and sunshiny out there. It, it is. It's really early uh, for me. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on this particular podcast is because you wrote a book, a seven series book uh, about women empowerment. And I have daughters of myself, so I, it kind of resonated with me. Um, so I kind of want to dive into that series. And I just want to talk about what was the motivation behind even creating a series in the first place. So what was the motivation behind writing that first book? Well, that's a really good question. It, it's a false story. Um, when I was, a, a, as you know, I'm a, a former school superintendent, former principal. When I was a school principal uh, many years ago, I was a, a middle school principal. I went to a meeting and uh, it was our first district level meeting. And I looked around the room and I was the only female. So I, I really didn't even know about this female thing until I was sitting in that chair. And I did my dissertation on it and uh, always had a passion for women gaining access to higher uh, leadership positions. Um, but then now, I, and then, move, and I even wrote a book on how to get a job and I'm out there helping women all the time, you know, how, what, what can you do to leverage your skill set to be, you know, gain access to these leadership positions. So I'm out on, on workshops, giving these workshops on how to get a job and um, our, our state organization hired me to do this all day workshop. 
so there I am sitting in this room with about 20 people um, and uh, mostly 50% uh, males and then 50% females. So I explained what was going to happen throughout the day. And I said, at the end of the interview, at the end of the session, I'm going to give everybody in the room a chance for a mock interview. And so, you know, that's usually typically what you do. And it's very valuable thing to do. And I'll criticize what you're doing and tell you what you're doing right. So uh, I had about an hour left and I said, okay, now who in the room would like to go first? And every guy's hand in the room way like schoolboys, you know, just couldn't, I, you know, couldn't contain themselves. So I called on one of the guys and did a fair, good, fair job. Second round. Okay, who's next? Same thing. So uh, these people had gotten to know me a little bit over the day and they kind of learned that I was, you know, very supportive of females. And I went over to a couple of the women that I had gotten friendly with and I said, hey, what's the deal? You're making me look bad here. How come you're not volunteering for this? And two of the women turned to me and said, Dr. Ryder, I just don't want to do it. We don't want to look stupid. And then this light bulb went off in my head like, oh my God, this thing is, this problem's bigger than I think. Um, so I started, I went home, very disturbed about it. By the way, the young lady, I did coach him to get up there and do some interview and they, they just like knocked it out of the park. I mean, they were so good. Um, so I started thinking, oh my word, this thing is way bigger than discrimination against women. You know, we don't want you up here. That whole route that I had taken. And I really dug down deep and it really had a lot to do with self-confidence. Mm -hmm. So I partnered up with my sister, um, who's the creative one in the family, and I'm the scholarly one, supposedly, in the family. And we uh, launched um, uh, four books on women's empowerment. And then we drilled down even farther and launched a, a really kind of a cool book for young teens. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm thoroughly convinced that um, the word self-confidence, self-sabotage, these things all are wrapped in together. And we really... By design, I think it happened when we're born. Mm -hmm. I think we're just told to be kind and caring individuals and um, just do what everyone asks us to do and be people pleasing. I know that's quite of a long story, but um, it has launched me in the direction now where I'm out uh, and about and writing and speaking on this concept of self-confidence and self-esteem. Great, great, great. So when you were talking, it reminded me of somebody that I know. Um, a friend of mine has a daughter. Um, at the time, I was in TV, and, and it's a male-dominated industry, and she was trying to get into leadership roles there. And I was like, I can introduce you to people in TV, but at the end of the day, you got to kind of walk through the doors. And I was kind of trying to break down and explain to her that you have to have a certain skill set, especially being a female in a male-dominated industry in a leadership role. Um, but I didn't really, as a male, I couldn't really express to her what that would be like. Like, uh, from that perspective. So do you have any advice for people like that are trying to get into those roles? Well, um, I certainly wouldn't tell them that it's going to be difficult because it is. And that immediately would chip away at their self-confidence because, um, as you know, I'm a university professor now. Um, we switched over to UMass Global, so I'm working for UMass Global. Um, and it's a, it's a male-dominated profession also. So there's so many of these professions out there that are um, uh, driven by male power. Um, what would I tell her? Um, well, I would tell her to um, use her skill set over time to build up that confidence level because she's obviously will probably experience what they call the imposter syndrome once she gets in that job. Um, my first day as a school superintendent, 
um, you know, I wanted this job so bad I couldn't stand it. And I finally get this job and I'm standing there and I'm thinking, oh my God, did I win a contest? Do they really know that I'm, you know, I, and here I am, all these awards. Um, and, you know, I've written books and I'm sitting at, you know, in front of this desk leading the school district of 25,000 kids. First woman superintendent, by the way, had to throw that in. And it was extremely difficult. Um, first of all, I had to convince myself that I could do the job. Um, and, and that involved having a mentor. Mm -hmm. So I call, and, and this is also for this young woman, you need to get a mentor. So I called up my mentor and I said, yeah, geez, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm scared to death. I'm sitting here. I love the, uh, you know, the, the news cameras are coming to interview me any day. And she goes, okay, here's what you need to do. She says, you've obviously got black suits, right? And high heels. And I go, uh-huh. She says, put one on, don't take it off for a week and walk around like you know what you're doing. And pretty soon you're going to believe in yourself. Mm. And I did it. I walked around and I shook everyone's hand and I you know, had, a, had some real good words out there for people. And I started to believe in myself. So I know males experience this also. But um, that's that uh, imposter syndrome is, is a tough one to get through. So young, young women need to be around other powerful young women and they need to search out mentors. If they can't get access to those women, I tell them to go to your library and start reading biographies of powerful women. Mm. Um, and that's what I would do during the summer. Um, I, you know, you can't get around powerful women all the time. So I would read these biographies of women and what they did and how, and how they they built their uh, their own power webs. Um, I, I talk about there's three things that women can that should know about. One of them is self-efficacy, and that's their belief in their ability to accomplish something. I think I think all women can get to that point. They know that they can put their hat in the ring for a certain job. They know that um, that that they have the skill set to be able to apply for these jobs. Um, the second aspect is self-confidence and how how likely are they to do well in that once they do apply? Mm -hmm. So that involves a lot of preparation, uh, you know, making sure that you have the education, you've, you've built your toolkit up with emotional intelligence and you've taken all kinds of professional development opportunities to, you know, to get that toolkit as, as deep as it can get. And then finally, the one that's the toughest is moving that self-confidence level to self-esteem, the, the belief that you're overall worthy, that, you, that you're worthy of this job. I interviewed um, about 50 top uh, women that were top in their field. They were in top leadership spots and all of them said that they never doubted themselves uh, for getting the job just because they were female. Mm -hmm. They all believed in themselves um, they, they all, it all, and they weren't born with that. They, they had to work on it. They had to physically and mentally prepare themselves uh, to learn how to be confident. Something as simple as having an exercise program every day, mm. um, having, uh, having something that you do every day that you can feel accomplished by, that you can feel like, oh, I did it. You know, I walked that mile today. Mm -hmm. Um, something as simple as um, looking back over your shoulder. You, you mentioned all my awards. You know, every time I go into a little speaking gig, um, I bring out a little card, I have it in my pocket, um, of my latest accomplishments. Mm -hmm. You know, that I go, you know, okay, Mary Lou, you just spoke in front of 400 administrators yesterday. You can do this, because <laughs> it doesn't go away. Right, right, sure. That, so yeah. it, 
Savvy to mentor, building up that toolkit um, and just, you know, trying to develop some competence so that you can uh, compete in a very competitive world. Right. On a previous podcast, we talked about um, goal setting, the importance of, of, of setting goals. We talked about setting goals as a way, small goals to kind of uh, help you boost your self-confidence. Um and we talked about having an accountability partner, especially during these, these rough times and things of that nature. Um, and, and looking at your, your series of, of books, of a couple of titles that kind of stuck out to me, um, I wanted you to, 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 to talk about um, in regards to the titles of these books and the content. Um, Rules to the Game was an interesting one that kind of um, uh, resonated with me. Don't Forget Your Lipstick Girl was another one. Uh, Superpower Moves was also um, another one. I want to dive into superpower moves a little bit and, and just basically talk about what, uh, you know, what you talk about within that book. And, and, and I think that it's important um, for people to understand uh, their own self uh, skills and their awareness, but also being able how to navigate within those spaces. I mean, understanding the game and be able so that you can make some, some super power moves within any industry that you're there. So can you just talk about the theme of that book a little bit? Uh, Superpower Moves and Don't Forget Your Lipstick Girl is for the uh, female that's about 18 on up. And it is really kind of a fun, uh, popular way to approach um, gaining this, these, these skill sets that will uh, help you get to the top. For example, something is so simple as uh, think, women tend to think, think too small. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I was an assistant principal and I always got myself saying, well, I'm just a, an assistant principal. Mm -hmm. So that just to thinking, I'm just a director, I'm just a secretary. Learning to take those little tiny just to thinking things out of your vernacular and, you know, being proud of who you are. Like I'm an assistant principal and my goal is to become a superintendent mm -hmm. or, you know, just being able to state who you are. Um, little tiny things like um, knowing that, that women tend to be perfectionists and knowing that uh, if you get snagged up in the perfectionist route, you're likely not to be able to uh, feel that success that so many other women can feel when they recognize that, you know, the word pretty good can substitute for that perfect mm. thinking that women get into. I've seen a lot of school female superintendents get bogged down and actually lose their jobs because of that need for perfection for perfection mm -hmm. um, and just digging in and letting it destroy them. Um, being able to leave your comfort zone. Some of the, uh, that's the largest tip. Um, you know, I was a school principal and I would often have to go around to the different teachers and ask them to move their, their room. You know, I mean, that's like, and that was like, I was like asking teachers to give up their firstborn. Yeah. You'd think that asking them to move their classroom was like, and I'd be almost afraid to go ask them and I'd have to work the crowd before I would do it because, right. you know, you have to do this. And then once the move was made and teachers would move their room, they actually would come back and say, you know, I kind of enjoyed that. I, I, I'm, I've got a different window I'm looking out of. So leaving that comfort zone, knowing what you know really well, um, that's that's the biggie. Mm -hmm. Being able to say, you know, I'm going to put my, my hat in that ring for that assistant uh, principal job. I know, and here's the, here's the research on that one um, that's really compelling. Do you know that men will apply for a job when, when they only have 50, when they, when they don't even have the skill set where women will wait till they think they're totally ready for it? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And that's that that's that inability to uh, you know put your hat in the ring, be confident who you are, and you know get out of that comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And then the other big one is um, fear and worrying. Um, we worry about everything, and of course, you know, research tells you that ninety percent of what you worry about is not even going to happen. Uh, what's the worst that could happen? Um, so we worry what pe that people are going to think we're stupid. We worry that people are going to what they're going to say about us. We worry about what our boss said to us last night. Um, and so being able to really route in deep and uh, look at wh what's causing that worrying to help you move forward. So, you know, I got a, <laughs> I've got a million strategies out there and some of them are so simple. Mm -hmm. Just learning to like take a compliment. All right. Women, women tend to defer their compliments because obviously we, we don't think we're good enough. So if somebody says, you know, that's a great job that you just did on that tech plan, you know, Barbara, we tend to say, oh, it's nothing, you know, it's, I've done it before. It wasn't a big deal. Um, and so it's so easy to just, when someone gives you a compliment, if you're a female, just to say, you know, thank you. I really appreciate that. To this day, I mean, I'm 70 years old and my uh, dean, she just got on the phone the other day and said, oh, you're just so busy writing all these wonderful books for women. I just have to give you praise. And I almost said, oh, it's nothing. <laughs> and I said, oh, well, thank you so much, um, Dr. White. I appreciate, you know, that you've read them and that you that you think that they're worthy for females. So, so that um, those books are um, a mission. Uh, they're, they're a labor of love. Um, I'm that. I've got, I wake up in the morning with, okay, how can I share this message for young females and women out there? Um, how, how can I get them to, the, the time is so perfect right now mm -hmm. for so many of our diverse groups out there. And uh, if, uh, if I can help in some small way, that's why I decided today, I, I, gotta, I gotta meet this guy, this Dr. Demisio, um, because I am on a mission. That's awesome. That's awesome. I can hear the passion in your voice when you when you talk about it. This is something that you obviously really, really care about. Um, but something that you said that kind of resonated with me was um, kind of getting out of your comfort zone. Because we talk about that a lot here at the Empowerment Perspective Group, um, getting outside of your comfort zone. Because to me, that is where the most growth uh, occurs is when you step outside of the comfort zone. Also, you talked about um, not letting kind of the title define who you are. I mean, and I, I kind of fell in that trap a little bit and saying, oh, I'm just an assistant principal. Um, but I, I encourage people to not limit themselves to their, their titles, right? So now in my role, I may be titled as an assistant principal, but I don't do traditional assistant principal things. I don't let that title kind of just say, well, I only work from here to here. I kind of um, go beyond that and just focus on the needs of our students. So those people that are out there that are listening, don't let that title, whatever your job title um, holds you back. Really, it's about how you add value to that organization. Like, what value do you bring outside even that title that you um, particularly have? Um, I want to get into um, another one of your books um, that you have on there, and, and it's the, the rules of the game, because I'm always telling students also, and, and educators, that you have to understand the game that you're playing in order to master and to take it beyond. So can you talk about the theme of rules of the game? I can. Um, it, it was it's, the rules of the game also came from um, the uh, the pathway that I took to become a superintendent. Um, crossing over from a school uh, teacher, you know, I went and got my administrative credential here in California. You've got to have this credential. Um, crossing over 
um, was difficult. You know, I tell the story about how I put a, a, I'm in California, we have lots of traffic out here. Uh, I put a, ma a map down on the floor and drew a, a, a circle for how far I was willing to travel. And then I applied for every job inside of that circle for to become an assistant principal, 42 to be quite <laughs> I remember 42 and had a chart on the wall and who I where I'd gone and who, who was going to interview me and that kind of thing. So 42 districts uh, within a year and ended up uh, getting two jobs, uh, which was very difficult, but did it. And then I started thinking, you know, along the way, you know, you, you take that route to become a principal, then you, you know, assistant soup, that was the hardest one to, to move over to. And then uh, superintendent, I mean, some people just get, you know, a crown on their head because they're the golden boy or girl in their district. And that, while we tend to focus on those, those, those transitions are rare. The rest of us really do have to <laughs> climb and, 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 and climb, claw our way to that job. So, um, I decided after I retired from the superintendency, let me back up, I had read that it takes a woman seven, on average, seven interviews to become a school superintendent. And when I checked that out with other females, it's, it's pretty accurate. They do anywhere from four to seven interviews to become their first school superintendent. For males, it's often as many as two interviews. Mm -hmm. So I decided I, I need to roll up my sleeves and, and write a book on how to how, how I personally uh, got this, these jobs. And I've divided it up into four areas, planning, preparation, perseverance, um, and I can't remember the third one, the fourth one, um, but um, preparation. And actually give people the tools to be able to go into that job interview and, and take on that process because it is a game. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've seen so many teachers out there that with the drop of a hat could, could have run my school when I was gone. Uh, but yet just lack that skill set to be able to get to that interview table to actually become the school assistant principal or principal. Mm -hmm. So, um, and the same thing goes for being a principal and being a superintendent. Being a principal and being a superintendent are almost exactly the same thing. You just got a bigger, huge, classroom there a bigger school people don't know that so um the book is very popular um I, I bring it along when i do my uh my speaking on how to how to get a job in fact i'm doing a bunch of them here in california and the whole key to the book are the scrimmage notes um and so here here's the deal um if you want to become a principal uh Demisio, and you and you go on the internet and you research uh, in, uh, uh, questions to become a school principal, you will lose the will to live. You will say, mm -hmm. I will never be able to, <laughs> to answer these. Right. So I teach people to um, take these different areas and become proficient in about uh, 20 to 30 different areas and to make notebooks and to, you know, like, for example, somebody's always going to ask you in a school interview something about good teaching. Mm -hmm. So when you're in that high stakes interview and somebody asks you, you know, well, you know, talk to us about what you think a good teacher is. A lot of people in the interview, they get lost and they just go off on a tangent for two or three minutes and they don't really make a whole lot of sense. When basically, if you have three or four areas committed to memory that you can actually speak to, 
Um, I, and I teach people when they walk out of my workshop, they know that good teachers, you know, love their kids. Good teachers have uh, a good subject knowledge. Good teachers know how to put a lesson together. And, you know, good teachers have uh, discipline protocols in place. If they can talk to those four things in, in three minutes or less, um, they've got a winning package and they have a really good shot at getting the job. So that's what that's what the book is about. It's hopefully you won't lose your will to live if once you get in there. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. When you do go look at those questions on the internet and you start looking for uh, these the scenarios and these questions, there's so much stuff in there that you can kind of get lost. So when I do the, the we have an interview tips uh, presentation that we do. So when we do these interview tips and things, I tell people don't go too deep into there because you can get lost in your head and the simplest question now becomes one of the most difficult questions. But they can't prepare it for in advance. And um, I had some fellow from, uh, oh golly, I think he was from Mississippi. He called me up and I answered my phone thinking it was uh, somebody that I knew. And he says, Dr. Ryder, this is, you know, I can't remember his name. He says, I just want to tell you, I'm sitting here with this book. I'm not trying to sell the book, by the way. It's just a wonderful book and it's, we're updating it to include virtual interviews. But he says, I'm sitting here and I'm a principal now because of this book. <laughs> I said, well, thank you. He says, the only thing about it was I was sitting at McDonald's before my interview and I didn't want anybody to see me read it. So I put a, put a, a book cover on it. <laughs> so I go, well, that's pretty cool. So where can they find um, information and purchase these books if they are interested? Oh, they're all on Amazon. Um, just look up Mary Lou Ryder. They're all on Amazon. Um, and if anyone ever does, uh, you know, call me up. Tell me what you, you know, what you think about the books or, you know, if you have any questions, because I am I love being on the internet and I, I do respond. It's, it's, our, it's our window right now, especially during COVID. And I've met so many wonderful people like yourself, Nemesio. Um, how would I have met you if I hadn't been on it on the internet? And you, what state are you in Virginia, correct? I'm in New Jersey. New Jersey. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. I, I'm, I was born and raised in upstate Syracuse, New York. So well, I'm going to yeah. ask you in the teacher's lounge about that. As a matter of okay. fact, that's a perfect transition to a new segment that we call the teacher's lounge. So if you're just new to the podcast, uh, the Empowerment Perspective podcast, the teacher's lounge is a segment where we loosen up and have a little bit of fun. The teacher's lounge, if you know anything about it in education, is a place where the teachers go. They gossip. They talk stuff. They steal other people's lunch. Um, they kind of let loose. They do talk shopping there, but they have a little bit of fun um, during that lunch period. So I want to transition into the teacher's lounge, and I'm going to ask you a series of questions. You simply have to pick one or the other, and then you have to tell us why. So we're going to start off relatively easy. And since that you are from Syracuse, but currently living on the West Coast, I have to ask you, East Coast or West Coast, and why? Oh, West Coast. <laughs> uh, there's just so much progress out here and excitement. It's, you know, we got a lot of traffic and we got a lot of earthquakes, but it's just, uh, it's such an innovative spirit out here. Um, Definitely the West Coast. The weather's pretty good, too. No, I completely get it. I got a buddy that it, it went to school in Syracuse. He currently lives out in, in the West Coast. He's sending me these pictures of this beautiful sunshine and all this lovely weather um, out there. But I said, but you still got that 405 traffic. Ah. <laughs> it's a little bad. I'll, I'll take the East Coast with that. It's bad. <laughs> all right. Question number two. Another easy one, I think. Um, speaking or writing? Oh, speaking, uh, believe it or not, one of my, before I wanted to be a superintendent, I wanted to actually do stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. 
Really? I was the funny one in my family. Of course, you're not, you're not getting an awful lot of that today. But yeah, speaking, I love to speak because I love to see the engagement with people and the light bulbs go off. And um, I used to be scared to death of it. You know, I get up there and I go, oh my God, I have my flip cards and everything and notebook. But then it just kind of came over me with that, that uh, stand-up comedy routine. I just love it. Um, and it's very rare now. I did my first speaking gig in um, about eight, eight months ago for a bunch of, uh, for actually nationwide for female superintendents mm -hmm. who wanted to be uh, aspiring superintendents. And they all flew into San Diego. And I, I thought I'd been like a kid in a candy store. I just right. couldn't believe I was back up there speaking again. So yeah, yeah absolutely speaking. No, no, I, I definitely do miss it. I definitely miss being out there on the road and connecting with the people. Um, you know, we had to pivot to, to virtual, um, even though I did um, a presentation with the World Education Summit and over 20,000 people were there. Um, I couldn't see them. I couldn't feel them. And it, it's just something about that energy when you are present with, with the audience when you're presenting. So, um, you know, we do miss that. And hopefully things will clear up and we'll get back out on the road and, and be able to touch the masses and really feel it. And, uh, um, so there's something about speaking, especially speaking in person, that is uh, really, really uh, drawing for me. Um, so the next uh, question I always ask people, especially educators, I want you to reflect back to that first day on your job. I mean, you can pick either your superintendent job or a principal job, a teacher job. It doesn't really matter. And I, and I kind of asked them, you know, was there a story, a horror story, or is there something that you just remember at that first time of experience? Like for me, example, when I was teaching, I taught television production. It was my first time, my first day. And my classroom was underneath of a science lab. And the teacher above me, I'm sitting down there trying to teach these students about the equipment. I'm bringing all this expensive equipment out. And the teacher above me was doing a science experiment on water displacement. So he steps inside this barrel of water, but the barrel tips over. The water starts falling on the floor. It's starting to come through my classroom. I'm running, trying to grab all the equipment. I'm like, this is day one. I'm like, the rest of my career is going to be like this. It's going to be a long road, but is there a story that you can share with us of, 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 of first time? Oh, my first moment. Boy, you caught me on that one. Um, well, I think probably uh, it would be my first day as a school superintendent. Okay. So I was down here in Orange County and just Orange County is Orange County, California. It's very high end and uh you know fancy malls and you know just lots of shopping and just really cool so my first superintendent job was in fresno now if you don't know anything about california everybody thinks california is like you know just all this glitz well fresno is a farm town and very rural and so on my first day um they showed me my office and it was probably about as big as a closet and it was in a portable and that's okay. I, I knew what I was getting into, and and I'm you know I, I know no boundaries when it comes to that. So it was just I was just so excited to be up there working with kids. Mm -hmm. So um, they, the school secretary came in and said I have my own private restroom, and I said oh or not the school secretary but the district secretary and she says and here's your key, and so of course I had to go use it check it out. I had my own key in my own restroom, and it was uh, it was smaller than the closet. But I got in there and I had my high heels on, which was a big mistake really to wear high heels. And my high heel went through the floor in the restroom <laughs> because the former superintendent was a male mm -hmm. and they'd never used the female restroom, the executive restroom. So I was just didn't know what I was going to do. My heel had gone through the 
the floor and I couldn't get it out. So I came out and, oh, they laughed forever on it. They came <laughs> out and they, 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 it kind of broke the ice a little too, because there I was all fancy and all these wonderful, you know, cool looking clothes and everything. And I knew right then that I was going to have to, you know, dress for the occasion. Not that I didn't wear a suit every day, right. but just that, um, uh, my, the, the workmen, they got a real kick out of it too. So it was a good way to be introduced. So there you have it. <laughs> awesome. Oh, so thank you for sharing. Okay. So last question. What do you like to do when you are not working? I love to play with, um, well, actually, I, uh, what, what do I like to do when I'm not working? I'm always working. So um, I'm writing a book right now called Self-Sabotage, but what do I like, what do I like to do when I'm not working? Uh, ride my bike garden and play with my dog baby doll awesome. so yeah i choose my lover girl baby doll it's awesome i just recently got into biking just rode 66 miles across the state of new jersey for cool. american cancer society so oh. i definitely um support bikers and cyclists <laughs> like yourself. very cool well dr Ryder, i definitely appreciate your time that you spent with us today you were definitely dropping some gems we call them gems here on empowerment perspective um, about women empowerment um, but at this particular time, I usually give our guests any last word for our educators that are out there or anybody that's uh, listening to us right now. Any last words? Yeah, you know, one of the things I forgot to mention was that I am a professor for um, UMass Global um, and I work in the doctoral program. So if you if you have a master's degree, um, you could apply for this doctoral program. It's an amazing program on transformational leadership. We have a lot of teachers in this program. Again, I'm I'm talking about, you know, filling up that toolkit of yours. Um, and uh, we're going, we go across the country. Um, in fact, I have students uh, in Florida. I have students in Texas, uh, in Massachusetts. So it's, it's an online program. We do meet three times a year on the East Coast, so on the West Coast. It will give you an opportunity to be able to go to the beach if you if you do enroll in this program. So if you, um, if you'd like to know more about this program, UMass Global's doctoral program, just um, reach out to me at drmlr at yahoo.com and I can give you information. But for the females out there um, and for, for all of you, we're, we're really uncharted waters right now. Um, I have so many friends uh, who are superintendents who are retiring. They just say that in principals, I, I have students that are principals just saying, I just don't know if I can take another day here. We are in such uncharted waters and my heart goes out to you. I, I believe that we have the most important job as educators and um, just have the faith and um, work together. You know, there's safety in numbers if you if you reach out to one another and you mentor one another and, and we're all going to get across the finish line and help these kids. So thank you very much. Well, again, Dr. Ryder, I thank you for your time. Thank you for your great words of wisdom and your gems that you have been giving us today on women empowerment. Definitely appreciate you uh, for our audience members out there that are listening. Um, no, I'm a fan of looking at the positive in situations and trying to find opportunities. And I know that we are in the middle of a pandemic and I know that we are uh, fighting difficulties in our society right now. But to me, that this is a prime opportunity 
for finding opportunities. So I need you to sharpen your, your skill sets and be prepared for the, to take these opportunities and to take advantage of these opportunities. Um, especially if you're in a field of education and you want to get into administration, there's going to be a lot of movement that is occurring because of this, but you need to be ready to take uh, advantage of those opportunities. So make sure that you are uh, constantly studying and being uh, a student of your craft so that you can master your craft. Again, Dr. Ryder, we definitely appreciate you being on here today. Um, and for our audience out there, keep grinding, keep working, and stay in power. This episode of the Empowerment Perspective Podcast is brought to you by Oakland Cocktail Company. Oakland Cocktail Company is a cocktail mocktail mixer company located in Oakland, New Jersey. A portion of sales goes towards helping build our local communities. All cocktail mixers are made in small batches and crafted by hand to ensure quality and care. We make you a better bartender. There will be two flavor profiles released in March. Clinton Ave, Sriracha Bloody Mary. Make your place brunch central with this full body, spicy, savory cocktail mix. Tough enough to stand alone or mix with your favorite vodka or tequila. Spicy and fresh from the first pour to the last sip. Kindle Boulevard, pineapple, lime, and jalapeno. Enjoy a juice cleanse or elevate your favorite tequila or vodka with this sweet and spicy mix. We've bottled the freshest summer taste for you to enjoy all year round. Every sip will take you on vacation. The Oakland Cocktail Company can be found on Facebook at facebook.com slash Oakland Cocktail Company.